It is the capstone of prophecy in the Old Testament. It was uh, a message of God's judgment on Israel for their continuing sin and also as God so over and over has done that we've seen, God's promise that one day in the future, Israel would um, repent and be brought back to to God. Messiah in this book is revealed, and God's covenant promises will be fulfilled. But between... Malachi giving this prophecy and the next message from God, there are 400 years of silence from God. I was, I was thinking in light of that, I thought, our nation is what? How old is our nation? I didn't figure that. But we're under 300 years old, okay? What are we? Anybody know? Now my curiosity, and I'm not going to do it. any rate, what? 240, okay? Something like that. So, you take the length of our nation and add another 160 years approximately... For that long a time, there was no word from God to mankind. You, you, I can't even comprehend that. We have the word of God. We're able to go to it. There was no um, revelation from God until what Malachi prophesied, that there would come a messenger. Malachi's name means he is a messenger. And he said, there would come a messenger preparing the way of the Lord, John the Baptist. The next 400 years from Malachi to John the Baptist, there was silence from God. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, challenging us, speaking to us, enlightening us. And and yet Malachi's words for 400 years would be ringing out a couple of things. The condemnation upon Israel and also the unique message of God's love to Israel. You notice in verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Just that. Let me just mention the burden of the word of the Lord. The Lord is burdened for mankind. And he gave this message to Malachi, and God is saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Have have you ever in a relationship where you've gone to express your love? Have you ever said in some way, I love you, and had them say, how do you love me? Sure doesn't seem like you love me. This is exactly what God was faced with. This is God. We just sang about 
all his greatness of his love. And, and Israel had seen God deliver them from Egypt, lead them through the wilderness. All these things that we've been through in the Old Testament gain victories. And, and God comes to them and says, I, I love you. And they respond in doubt and in accusation. And they say, how have you loved us? And so this is a message that Malachi brings. And he, he many times gives a prophecy or a statement from the Lord. And then the people respond with an, an accusing statement. And we might ask the question, how did they get to this place? Well, they neglected their relationship with God. Putting it in a time frame, about a hundred years have passed since the return of the Jews from Babylon to Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem and the second temple had been built. So this is after the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. They've returned to Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the second temple. And now the initial enthusiasm of that has worn off in just a hundred years' time. They had revival under Nehemiah, but now the people, as well as the priests, had backslidden and become just mechanical in their observations of, of practices to honor God. They were just things that, that they just happened to, to go through and do this because we have to. They were very lax in their worship. They were delinquent in their responsibilities to God. And on top of it, they couldn't understand why God wasn't happy with them. Kind of in, in a way, they were, they were like an entitled, spoiled child. We are God's chosen people. We are special to God, but, but their heart wasn't after God. They neglected everything in relation to God, and then they said, why are you upset with us? Because they had neglected their relationship with God. They, they just took him for granted. And, and Malachi, as you'll go through and read this, brings stinging rebuke to the priests and to the people. He reminds them that the Lord is coming. He is coming in judgment to refine, to purify, and to purge them. And Malachi gives basically six counts of willful sin on behalf of the priests and the people. He said, you have rejected God's love. You have refused to give him the honor that is due to him. He said, the subjects of a king give honor to a king because he's a king. The servant gives honor to his master because he is their master. But you have, you have refused to honor me. They had rejected God's faithfulness. They had redefined God's righteousness. 
No, this isn't what God really wants. This is okay with God. They were robbing God of what belonged to him. And they were reviling, rejecting God's grace. So, they really, their hearts had gone the wrong direction. They were living for themselves. And they were making a mockery of worship that prompted the Lord to say, I'm going to close the temple doors and I'm going to put out the fires on the altar. I mean, you think of that. God says, that's enough. I'm, I'm sick of this. And you'll read in there, you draw near me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And God says, we're going to shut down this temple. We're going to put out the fires on the altar. And this is my judgment that is coming. So they had neglected their relationship with God. And when that happens, they also then had lost their distinctiveness as God's people. They began to intermarry with the heathen neighbors without considering any of the ramifications of it. They neglected the Sabbath, treated it just as another day. Their moral and ethical standards declined rapidly. You'll read as you go through the book of Malachi. Malachi charged the people with sins of sorcery, adultery, perjury, oppression of the community's defenseless members. They had fallen into distrust among one another and especially to God. And they, their whole community, these were the 50,000 people that loved God and obeyed God and, and were anxious to leave Babylon and come back, rebuilt the temple. And in a hundred years, they had sunk to this point that they were just going through the motions and really their heart was not in it. And they lost their distinctiveness as God's people. God tells us in Romans chapter 12, Be not conformed to this world. Don't be like this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You don't win the world by being like them. God called us to be distinctive. We serve a different master and we serve a better master. But he came with some great rebukes to them, but he also came to let them know that they had great hope because of God's mercy. Honestly, from the beginning of this book to the end of this little book, it is an appeal, a, a powerful, a passionate, pleading appeal of God and His heart through Malachi to the children of Israel to repent of sin and to return to God. An appeal accompanied by the rich promise that if the people respond, God will bless them and a stern warning. I mean, you think about it. The last verse of the last 
prophecy for 400 years is I am sending someone before that will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And he ends up by saying, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. He gives this, this warning. He, he comes in mercy. It's an appeal. Won't you repent from your ways and return to me? But if you don't, I will smite the earth with the curse. So, the great mercies of God. I mean, all these offenses to God that, that they had brought before Him. They were careless in their worship. They were indifferent to the truth. They were disobedient to the covenant with God. They were faithless in their marriages. They were stingy in their offerings to God. Not only stingy, God said, you have robbed me. And they say, wherein have we robbed you? And God said, of your tithes and offerings. I mean, God had every reason to not show mercy to them. I mean, throughout history, the history of Israel, over and over again, mercy and fall and mercy and fall and mercy and fall. And yet it shows us the heart of God. The first message that he put on Malachi's lips was, I have loved you. I love you. That was the message that he gave. And God also says, I'm sending the message that there is a messenger coming and that the messenger is preparing the way for the long-awaited Messiah. One thing that has stood out to me as we've gone through this Old Testament is, yes, the judgment of God But above that is the mercy of God. God's judgment is always for the purpose of bringing repentance. And God is willing to forgive. And you also see through this that God always has a remnant. There's always a small group of people that fear God. We'll touch on that in just a little bit. So, that, that's kind of some of the, the main points. You'll get more of it as you study it personally and then as you come on a week from Wednesday night and go over it. But I want to make some application. Number one, do you doubt God's love or take it for granted? I mean, all the things we sang about today and um, even even the offertory that Kathy played today, she didn't know what we were talking about, the aspect of God's love, but the offertory that, again, turned our focus toward that. And yet God does all this, and many times we just ho-hum, yeah, God loves me. It was my sin that brought his scars, we sang. 
Or sometimes we even come accusingly to God and say, God, it doesn't seem like you love me. I mean, this has gone wrong and this has gone wrong and, and I'm bearing this. And we are like the children of Israel. Where have you loved me? God says, I love you. Yeah, right. If you call this love. And we need to be careful that we don't see things from our own perspective or the world's perspective to the point that we doubt God's love. There should be one thing that is unequivocally certain in our life, whether I feel like it, whether I may be experiencing it, whether I see it, I know that God loves me. I mean, the most basic song is perhaps one of the most important. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There may be times that your circumstances don't tell you so. There may be times your own heart says it doesn't seem like it. But when God says, I love you, it is unquestionable His love. And yet we question it, and and we take it for granted. So ask yourself, is my heart still stirred by the love of God? Regardless of what happens around me, do I still come back and say, thank you, God, for loving me? I am as unlovable as can be. And yet you loved me with an everlasting love. And then an application, if you turn to Malachi chapter 3. And notice verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers... You have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, all these things that they had done and offended God and yet God says, if you return to me, I will return to you. We have gone astray, we, we take things for granted, we modify God's laws to fit our way of life, we follow our own heart, we're going away, and yet, with our back facing God, God still calls out and He says, return to me and I will return to you. What a promise. That when I return to God as the prodigal's father, God comes running to us. See, that's what gives hope for all of us. That God says, return to me and I will return to you. In James, he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. 
And he goes through, and, and in Malachi chapter 2, I mean, he lists many things. But he, in chap, verse 13 of chapter 2, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with the goodwill from your hands. And yet you say, why? For what reason? And notice what he does. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with you, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and the wife of your, and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one? having a remnant in the Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. God says, return to me. And he says, I've seen how you behave at home. You come to the altar, and you weep before me, and you pour out your heart. But he says, I see how you behave at home. I don't even want to hear your offerings. I don't want to see your tears. I don't want to hear this. He says, you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. You have not treated her right. Your behavior in home, in the home, does not reflect my character at all. And yet you come and you go through the motions. The same thing is reiterated in 1 Peter chapter 3. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessels, being heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers be not hindered. You read the book of Malachi, and you see you cannot separate your spiritual life from your physical life. And God says... I see how you behave in the home as a husband, as a wife, as a child. And others may think you're godly and others may see it, but I see it. He then goes on and brings other accusations against them. Chapter 3 and verse 8, will a man rob God? No, we wouldn't think of robbing God. How do you say we've robbed you, Lord? And he said, in your tithes and offerings. You have robbed me and even this whole nation. And then he gives them a dare. He says to them, See, if I will not, if you honor me with your tithes and offerings... You just try it and see if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You know, if, if, if we saw somebody come up here today and, and take this and start sticking it in their pockets, we'd say, that is God's money. That belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. And he tells us to honor him with our first fruits. Don't even, don't even go there saying that's the Old Testament law. If, if you want to discuss it later, I'd be happy to. The Old Testament law, number one, I'm not going to discuss it long, but 
Abraham tithed before there was a law. And we're under grace now, so we should go beyond the law. And some of the biggest legalists that I've ever met are the ones that write to the penny. God says, you be generous with me. I'll be generous with you. He gives the open air. See if it wasn't true. They were robbing God of what belonged to him and heaping it upon themselves for their own purposes. And God says, you are robbing me. We wouldn't think of doing that. We wouldn't think of that. And yet God says, if you will return to me, I will return to you. You'll note he goes through... um, he says, you have, you have changed the, the covenants that I've given you. He says here that he is committed to the home. Verse 16 of chapter 2. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. That's God saying what he, he doesn't say he hates divorced people. He says, if you repent and turn to me, he will meet us. And yet, in many, many churches, it's like these verses are cut out about offerings and divorce. And you know what I've found? Some of the greatest supporters of God's position on divorce are people that have experienced it. God is in the rebuilding business. And if you have been divorced, God still says to you, return to me and I will rebuild you right where you're at. There's certain things you cannot change. But God will rebuild. He is merciful. And we, we rejoice in that. But we still need to say that these young couples getting married... It's not like we give them a, a, a card that if it doesn't work out, this can always, that's okay. No, we need to be committed to praying and, and supporting and building so that they don't experience it and their children don't experience it and their grandchildren don't experience it. And so God says, you you have dealt treacherously at home, you have robbed me, you have just gone through the motions, but he still says, return to me and I will return to you. He said to them, you're more like the world than you are like Christ. I mean, think about our own life. Are we more like the world than we are Christ? Our attitudes toward things going on? Our spending habits, the use of our time. Who are we really more like? But all of this, the mercy of God, return to me and I will return to you. But then look in chapter 3 and verse 16. God remembered those that fear him. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another 
And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. We could preach a whole series on this. You could preach a whole message on it. I'm not going to. But there, there is a remnant. It's a small remnant that feared God. And what did they do? They spoke to one another. They gathered together in fellowship and ministered to one another. And they prayed to God. And God listened and heard them. You think about that. They feared God. When God said something, they said, okay, God said it. We need to do it. They spoke to one another. Birds of a feather flocked together. They feared God. They helped each other. They prayed to God. God listened. And also notice what God did. God said, hey, I'm going to remember this. And a book of remembrance was written before him. And he put those who feared the Lord in that book. They meditated on God and God takes special notice of them. See, I don't know, I know there's the book of life. I don't know if there's another book called the book of those that fear me. But I do know this, God takes special notice. And there was a small remnant that God remembered. To me, that's an amazing phrase in the Bible. It says, and God remembered Noah. Floating in the ark. And to say here, uh, God saw these people that feared him and meditated on his word and shared together with one another and uh, prayed to God. And God says, it's like he says, there's people that share my heart. There's my people. And it was a small remnant. But it says God remembered them. How will God remember you? I mean, think about it. How will God remember you? He really knows us. And and with that question, I want to close today with that question. How will God remember you? Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be found to be people that fear you. That truly have fellowship one with another and together our heart cries out to you. And that we may be remembered as people that fear you. Lord, I pray if there is one here today who has never responded to your call of love, they've doubted your love, they've never said yes to your expression of love and forgiveness, I pray today would be the day that they call upon you and receive the gift of love, Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, I pray for every one of us as believers. It's so easy for us to... Take your love for granted. It's so easy for us to just go through the motions. It's so easy for us to become like the world that we live in, in our priorities, in our plans.
It's so easy for us to forget your love. I pray in whatever areas we have gone away from your ways, I pray that we would return to you and thank you for the promise of your mercy that if we return to you, you will return to us. So, Lord, we praise you that you are a God of judgment, that you are a God of mercy, and we praise you that the Messiah has come and he will be coming again. Lord, may we be remembered as people that fear you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Our heads.